on Sentinel Sports Staff's weekly podcast where we talk anything and everything sports. While sports are kind of on a hiatus right now, Bo Troutman, assistant sports editor Bo Troutman, and myself, sports editor Dan Diodana, will be talking about some of our uh, favorite things. Last week, we talked about our top events, sporting events that we've got to cover as professionals and, um, you know, kind of our love for sports filtering into our careers that way. Now, the check out the news podcasts. They've done that. Some of the news reporters have been doing the same thing, followed suit there. This week, today, Bo and I will be talking about our greatest memories as fans. Uh, so this will be things that we were not at for coverage, just sporting memories that we have uh, over the years. And there's a lot, obviously. We're sports people. So we'll, we'll start by just laying a little bit of groundwork uh, with some some quick hit memories, you know, just things that we remember from going to games with our families and stuff like that. And then we each have our top five uh, big time in-depth memories that we'll get to. And I promise you it's worth sticking around for because they are epic. So, but, uh, Bo, we'll start. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take the first batch here as far as, you know, the, our quick, quick memories. I mean, I have so many of them growing up, going to Tiger games, especially, um, old Tiger stadium was kind of our place. I got to go at least once a year. A lot of times we went for my birthday, um, in, in September when it was kind of, you know, you'd, you'd hope they'd be in the pennant race, but they usually weren't, <laughs> to be yeah. honest, after 1987. But uh, just some of the memories I remember from Tiger games uh, at Old Tiger Stadium in 1998 when McGuire and Sammy Sosa had the, the famous home run chase. I was there when the Cubs played at Old Tiger Stadium and Sammy Sosa hit a home run to the upper deck and right field to break the major league record for most home runs in a single month. That was back in 1998. My brother and uncle and I went when Roger Clemens was going for his 300 win as a visiting player uh, he was on the Yankees at this point and he did not get it Derek Jeter of all people made an error and to tie the game and then Clemens left with it a tie game so he couldn't get a decision and the game went 18 innings and then the Yankees still won so as Tiger fans we were it was awful <laughs> we went with standing room only tickets we stood for nine innings and then people started leaving and then we sat for nine innings and we did not get a historical win but and we also did not get a Tigers win so it was <laughs> situation but it was uh it was definitely fun being a part of that energy you know got to go in with my uncle who works for detroit edison and sit in their suite and watch verlander pitch one time that was pretty sweet and yeah one time when we saw ken griffey jr at old tiger stadium when i was a kid we sat my dad made sure we sat in the upper deck bleachers at old tiger stadium and looked down at ken griffey jr who was probably in his maybe second or third full season he had just become this you know, kind of the superstar face of baseball so that was cool we yelled down to him he, he waved up to us with his glove once that was like that meant the world to us we were like i was maybe 11 my dad and i went to alan trammell's number retiring just a few just last year that was super exciting just we actually got made sure to get seats right in the outfield right next to where they were unveiling the number retiring on the wall mm -hmm. uh, so that was super cool. oh my gosh oh. um and before i got married i have a couple of really good guy friends and our bachelor party was playing poker at my grandpa's house because i only had you know a couple of guy friends i have a ton now because they all married all my friends most of my friends in college were female in our group uh, a couple it's all in one group here but the the girls wanted to do something so they took me to a tiger game for a bachelorette party for me so i had a bachelor party and a bachelorette party uh which is pretty awesome so that was super fun that they wanted to do that and we had a lot of fun at the game and i watched the watching the last game on 
Tiger Stadium on TV. I wasn't actually there, which would have been awesome. But uh, I was a freshman in college, and my roommate, it was, you know, just a month into college, and just sitting there glued all day to the TV watching the festivities in that game with my roommates was a super cool bonding experience. So, um, yeah, those are my Tiger memories. Also going to see them on the road sometimes. I've seen them play in Tampa and uh, went with my dad and my uncles to Minnesota to watch them play in Minnesota uh, for my uncle's birthday a couple years ago. That was pretty sweet, too. So I'm going to turn the quick ones over to Bo. I'll come back with the rest of my non-Tiger quick memories. But, Bo, why don't you jump in there so I don't feel like I'm dominating the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, let's let's hear some of your, uh, you know, fun, quick memories. Yeah, so I'll start off with a couple of them. Uh, Looking at my list here, the first one I got is uh, when LeBron joined uh, the Miami Heat, made the decision. That was, like, a fun time. Like, it was all the speculation. No one really knew what he was going to do. Then the reports started coming out. There's meeting up with D. Wade and Chris Bosh. And I remember, like, watching that program, like, the, you know, the whole ridiculous, you know, that show they had on ESPN, the decision. And, like, I remember I had a friend come over and, like, we were just all talking about it. Like, oh, my God, this is going to change the NBA. And it truly did. You look like, you know, it's basically been almost a decade now since that happened. And, like, you know, you just look at, like, kind of the the impact of that. You know, super teams are kind of the norm now in the NBA. And, like, but I just, I just remember that one, it was, like, a summer night or, like, maybe, like, a late spring night and, like, just finding that out. And then, like, my buddy came over and, like, I was still, like, I was just out of high school and I was just, like, oh, or, or no, I would have been still in high school, actually. And, like, you know, I was playing Xbox after that and, like, just talking about it with all my friends. Like, that's a huge, uh, huge quick hit for me. Yeah, it was a big moment for sure. It was, yeah. Then moving on from that one, um, another one for me is when Conor McGregor and the UFC knocked out Jose Aldo in their first meeting. So I, I like the UFC a lot. I, I really like McGregor. I think that he kind of changed the sport, injected a lot of just a lot of like excitement into it. Uh, the UFC was kind of lacking. And uh, I'll never forget, my dad and I got to the Buffalo Wild Wings in Holland at like 8 o'clock p.m. And then that fight wasn't until like past midnight. So we were there like just waiting and waiting and talking to people and it was packed and like we were fortunate enough to have seats and like you know it used to get packed when they used to do that b-dubs for sure but then when it finally happened, it was a 13-second fight, and, like, the whole bar just went nuts when McGregor knocked out Aldo, and, like, everybody's going crazy, like, and my dad and I, we sat there all night, and, like, it was, like, I, he thinks it's a letdown, I even talked to him before we did this podcast, he thinks it's a letdown, I think it was perfect, like, that was the one thing that could have happened, that could have sent everything into a frenzy, like, even a five-round crazy fight, I still would have took just the pure shock value of Aldo just going down 13 seconds in, like, Oh, sure. that was amazing. But uh, moving on from that that's one, one, yeah, no, that that's yeah. I, I ate a lot of wings that night. Um, <laughs> Gotta no, keep the seat. Exactly. Yeah. No, you do. It, it's like people. Yeah, people get kind of like like predator esque. Man, they're like kind of keeping an eye on you. They're keeping tabs on you. But uh, number three for me um, is uh, when Evan Turner uh, for Ohio State basketball he sunk a thirty seven footer to defeat Michigan in the Big Ten tournament down by two, got the three to win it, and I'll never forget that. I'll never. Oh, that the shot going in, like it's like you know those half court shots you dream about. That was one of them, and like I just, I just could not believe. Not so fondly, but I do. Yeah, (laughs) and that was like the golden era of Ohio State basketball, man. Like Thad Mata, you know, uh, a couple championship runs with Greg Oden, Mike Conley. Then after that, we had some great players, and like that was just like Evan Turner was one of the greatest Ohio State players ever, and like yeah. It was. So uh, those are my first three. All right. Um, So bouncing back, I mean, my first trip to Wrigley Field was uh, very memorable. I was also the same age, 10 or 11. As some of the memories I've talked about, they played the Padres. They lost. They lost 
like two nothing or two to one, something like that. But Tony, Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn got a hit in you know the later innings, and then Fred McGriff was playing first base for the Padres at that point, and he hit a two run homer out onto the street in right field, which was you know we were obviously rooting for the Cubs, but that was that was pretty awesome <laughs> to see. Um, so that was super fun. Wrigley Field hit. Uh, memories have been good. Been been a few times with my friend Mark Birdsall, and also. You know, we did a Godfather's. I did a Godfather's Day with, with my cousin, where her Godfather is my dad, and my Godfather is her dad. So we took them, and the four of us went to a Cubs game when she was living uh, near Wrigley Field, and that was super fun. So just being at Wrigley Field, there's nothing quite like that place. So that's super fun. And then I throw back to, for me, I went to Central, and uh, one of my under underclassmen years, Central football was awful. And I mean awful. And rival Western, Central Western is nuts. Like for football and basketball especially, it's a nuts rivalry. And Western had one of those years they were ranked. They were like the top team in the MAC. They were ranked number 24. They came into Central, and Central was like 1-8, and eight. <laughs> you know, something like that. It was the last game of the year. And sent, we beat them. Uh, we upset them, knocked them out of the national rankings. And that is the only time in the history of my life I've ever rushed a field. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, and I did so still reluctantly. That's not my. I don't. That's not my scene, and I don't like it. But it wasn't crazy enough that it got crazy. It was just like, hey, wouldn't it be nuts if we rushed the field? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like so. I mean, there were already several hundred people out there, and it had mostly died down when I rushed. But we still did because it's like, ah, I mean, why as well? You know, like it. But it was, uh, it was a big win. And then also in high school, I got to be sitting courtside because I was in the band when my high school Ann Arbor Pioneer won the state championship in basketball, and it was an epic in in the lures of high school basketball because we had Lavelle Blanchard who played at Michigan um, and started all four years at Michigan and uh, we beat Saginaw Arthur Hill who had Jason Richardson who was the dynamic dunk master for Michigan State so we knew it was a preview of the future of Michigan-Michigan State rivalries as well and that was super fun to be a part of it watch us win that one so super fun there so mm-hmm. and then just other things like going to i just remember going to the joe for red wings games when i was a kid i don't have any specific memories of that but it was super fun going to michigan hockey games and having them do all those crazy chants that was really fun we used to go when we were kids and like now i just can't believe we listen to some of the stuff that they say because it's pretty <laughs> It's pretty obscene at times. Yeah. So much that the band has to like play over top of some of the chanting. One of my friends though was is a hockey referee and I got to watch him ref a few years ago at Yost Ice Arena for a Michigan game. That was pretty sweet. Oh, that's awesome. And then going uh, with my, just a couple years ago, I went, uh, my last trip to the palace was to take my dad to see LeBron play. We had never seen LeBron play live. My dad's a huge basketball fan and we sat pretty close and just some of the stuff that LeBron Ron did. He he made a move that was almost looked like a hockey deke move. You know, when you're in a fast break, and he just kind of dipped around the guy and just went up and dunked, and it was just like not very far from us. And we were just like, wow, this is like incredible. <laughs> so that was yeah. super fun uh, to see him to see him up close. Watching the Globe Trotters with my kids has always been super fun. They love the Globe Trotters, and going to a Whitecaps game with my oldest daughter Lena when she got to run. The, it was the run the bases day afterward that we didn't even know it was. We were just going, and she got to run the bases and just a couple dad moments like that have been super fun watching the U.S. women's soccer team after they won the World Cup a few years ago they played in Detroit and sit, sitting with my wife and two daughters watching this level of women's sports was really cool it kind of it kind of lit the fire for them as far as sports which has been super fun mm-hmm. yeah I just got a couple more of the quick hitters I'll just wrap them up real quick uh, mm-hmm. watching Michigan football win the national championship in 1997 uh, was awesome I will always remember 
in the final minute when Ryan Leaf for Washington State in the Rose Bowl was you know trying to lead the charge and I will never forget hearing my dad just constantly that entire last minute yelling at the TV <laughs> come on clock come on clock <laughs> yeah clock oh my gosh and, uh, Michigan ended up winning and won the national championship it was really super cool and then when they got the trophy later at one of the basketball games when they unveiled the trophy to the to Michigan well, my parents went to Michigan so I was a big Michigan fan growing up I, it's cooled down quite a bit but it still was fun yeah my dad and I got interviewed on on the news on TV when that after that happened. Oh my gosh! Which was super fun. And then that same year they won the hockey national championship, which was one of those years. I, I I'm not. They won two. I don't remember if this is the same year, but in the semifinals, Mike Legg scored the most amazing goal I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And if you guys don't know this story, look it up on YouTube. He flipped the puck like up onto a stick and was like lacrosse and just was behind the net and just wrapped it around up in the air. Yeah. And it was like a lacrosse goal. But oh my it was a gosh. Hockey goal. No one had ever done it, but it also was like the winning goal of the national semifinal. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't like he just tried this in some game against who knows who cares who, you know what I mean? And just, it, which would have made Sports Center anyway. But it was like a pivotal moment in the in the season, in the postseason. So that was super exciting. So to see them both win in the same. Oh my God. Um, when I was a kid at the spring game at Michigan, Hall of Famer, now Hall of Famer, Ty Law, you know, signed one of his gloves, those, you know, like receiver gloves that they wear. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, yeah. DB, but yeah, it was a spring game. Afterward, all the kids go on, you know, on the field and get autographs and stuff. He gave me his glove and signed it. So that was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And then I just remember absolutely freaking out getting to watch the 1991 and 92 World Series, like actually staying up to watch the World Series. I was at a sleepover at a friend's house in 91 when game six, when Kirby Puckett made this amazing catch in extra innings to preserve the win, then hit a walk-off homer to win the game for the Twins, uh, which was super epic. And then that led to the next day when Jack Morris pitched a 10-inning shutout to win game seven. I can't even imagine anyone pitching a 10-inning shutout in game seven. Yeah, no doubt. Oh my uh, one nothing, too. I mean, like, that's crazy. Yeah. And and then the, uh, two years later in 93, Joe Carter hitting the World Series winning home run. I was definitely rooting for the Blue Jays that year. And uh, just to see, no, to actually be old enough to appreciate how awesome that was and be that excited was, was super fun. So, I mean, I'm sure I've got many more. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's, uh, we'll, we'll wrap those ones up with the, uh, oh, and just the, watching the Cubs win the World Series mm -hmm. was huge for me, too. I'm a Cubs fan. I mean, I love the Tigers, too, but covering the minor league team and covering all their playoff games and All-Star game and everything that's been in Detroit in opening days, it's a little more business relationship now. Um, obviously, it's still good when the Tigers are good and win, but I, I can't be a pure fan the same way, and the Cubs are kind of like my last frontier for being a pure fan so far, so just watching that, watching them finally win after growing up with Andre Dawson being my favorite player for the Cubs and watching the Cubs growing up on WGN, that was super exciting so yeah all right i'll end my quick ones there lots of fun things to come still but when i'll talk about you know our big these are here come our big memories like these are the ones mm. that stick with you for a lifetime i do have some more quick hits though oh too, you do i'm sorry sure. yeah I will jump jump back i'll let, let both finish his yeah. quick hits my bad, my no, bad. No, no, then yeah. we'll get to the epic stuff so stay tuned this is our, our our active plan to prolong so you guys have to keep listening yeah um, so, go ahead, Bo. Yeah. No, I got four more uh, quick hits. Um, yeah, just starting off, uh, 2010, I was actually at the Final Four at Lucas Oil Stadium. This could have been one of my bigger ones, but I decided to just make it a quick hit. I was kind of younger. I, I believe I was a freshman in high school, but, like, it was still, it was awesome. It was, like, you know, our actual seat. So, what happened was, we got, uh, my dad won, like, a little lottery uh, to for the opportunity to buy tickets to the Final Four, and our actual seats were awful. But we moved up, and we got lucky. Each game, each Final Four game, and then the championship, we 
found open seats. It was crazy. And we surmised that people whose team lost, they just left or something. But anyway, sure. you know, I got to see Gordon Hayward and Butler uh, against Duke. That was the year that, you know, Butler had made that big run and made a huge name for themselves. And uh, I'll never forget Gordon Hayward almost hitting that half-court shot to win it. And, like, I remember my dad was like, listen, like during the timeout, my dad was like, look, if, if they win here, if Butler wins. Because they're from Indiana, you know, it was basically a home game. He's right. like, look, we're rushing the court if, if they win. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, we have no affiliation with Butler, but, like, we just totally connected with the, their whole underdog thing. So uh, that's a big one for me. Then after that, this one's kind of wrapped up into multiple, but Tiger Woods winning the Masters in 2019. All my life, I mean, since, like, you know, my, my, my freshman year of high school, I've been a huge Tiger Woods fan. I mean, oh, my gosh, I love that guy. My favorite golfer of all time. You know, it's like all the stuff happened with him and his wife and, you know, the car getting bashed in with the, the golf clubs. And I remember watching that intently and uh, for him to kind of come back at the Masters. And the Masters is my favorite. Every April, which is kind of kind of bummed out this year with coronavirus, but uh, every April, man, it's like you just get in that mood. I don't care how terrible I am at golf, but like <laughs> Me either. every year, man, the Masters, like even more so than the other majors. It's that That's the pinnacle of golf to me is the Masters. And like uh, I really love the par three course in Holland. I forget what it's called. The Lakes. I don't even know what it's called. I just call it the Highland Par 3 course near Grafscap. But every year, man, I, I text my buddy after the match, or during the Masters, dude, we gotta go golfing, man. Like, he's like, yeah, man, totally. And, you know, it's just... Oh, I just love that. But, uh, That's awesome. Well, that was kind of like a culmination of him not just coming back from the adversity, but also like maturing yeah. as a human being, which I think was uh, that development was really cool to see after, you know, some of his demons kind of got let out. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool, too. Right. Yeah, and comeback stories are like like really cool in sports, especially like comebacks of that magnitude. I remember there was actually a Masters tournament before 2019 where he didn't win, but he was like on this roll, like 2017 or something. And then he hit, he was in the lead, and then his ball hit the flagpole and went into the water. It was like this terrible stroke of luck, and then he went downhill from there. But like, it was always like, it was like that Tiger Watch thing, you know, is he coming back? Is he, you know, like the whole story surrounding that you know the kind of the storybook narrative was pretty cool and it kind of leads me into my next one here i was kind of tied ties in with this but uh michael vick's come back to the nfl i know a lot of fans are split on their uh opinions of michael vick but i mean he was like i mean i remember that Madden 04, the one that he was on the cover on, like that just like skyrocketed his notoriety as this unstoppable player, like to the level of like Bo, J Bo Jackson, like Tecmo Bowl. You know, Michael Vick was the same. He was my generation. That was our version of Bo Jackson. Was like you can't stop Michael Vick in Madden. And uh, I remember, and like this is very random, and like you know, other people would be like, what? But uh, I remember I was in the like the Rivertown Mall in Grand uh, or Grand Haven, Granville. I was gonna mixed up uh, Granville, yeah. And I remember I was in like the a sporting goods store, like actually testing out golf clubs. And I remember Sports Center was on in the old school, the OG uh, Sports Center studio. And I remember just like being like so hyped up. Like, you know, they're talking about like, oh, Michael Vick's coming back. The teams are, you know, giving him tryouts. And I remember it was just like this great summer day. And like, you know, I was like, that was going on. And you're a kid, you know, and like, I don't know. That's just, that was really cool following that. And then like he was successful, you know, and he, he reformed himself as a person. Right. And not the same thing as Tiger almost that. <laughs> Not just to come back, but to, to bounce back from, like, inner demons almost. Yeah, right. I mean, it wasn't really, you know what I mean? Like, self-inflicted stuff. that you make. Yeah. You know, but it was still, I mean, he could have just dropped off the map and never been heard of again. Right, yeah. And it's, it was totally opposite. Like, you know, before he was kind of a, you know, 
kind of not a great guy. But then, like, after the whole prison thing, I mean, he was just a changed guy. You you know, you listen to his interviews and stuff. I mean, he, I think he he's one of the cases where, like, you know, people will always judge him on his past actions. But, like, he's one of those cases where he truly did, like, reform himself. I mean, and really took, you know, animal rights activism very seriously. And, like, and it also, yeah, and it's, and it's kind of sad. It's like, well, you know, we'll never see those couple years, you know, when he was in prison, you know, 28. You know, that was the prime of his life, the prime of his career that got taken away. And I think that really finally woke him up like, whoa, I got to stop, you know, doing these things. And uh, so, yeah, that was a big deal for me. I actually, I got a Michael Vick Falcons jersey uh, in the other room right now that I keep. Uh, that I, tr- I actually, I lived in Illinois and I found it on this app called Let Go. I, uh, this lady was selling it and she uh, saw that I was selling an Xbox controller and I actually traded an Xbox controller straight up for an authentic sewn on number and name Michael Vick jersey. So anyway. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, in, in a Walgreens parking lot of all places. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, then just two more quick ones. Obviously, I'm a huge Ohio State fan. They won the first ever college football playoff in 2014, and I got to tell you, man, it still doesn't feel real. I mean, you know, Urban Meyer, I have my beef with that guy. You know, I don't think he was, I think he's highly overrated. I think there's a lot of weird stuff with him and kind of the behind the scenes, the scandalous stuff with that guy. But I will say, whatever they did... <laughs> For those three games, the you know the the playoff or the Big Ten championship against Wisconsin, in which Ohio State won fifty nine to nothing, and then there was the game against Alabama, and then the game against Oregon. Whatever you know, whatever Urban Meyer did, <laughs> worked, man. For those couple games, it was it's the still the single most amazing that I've ever seen a football team perform on a football field. It is especially given the circumstances with you know J T Barrett Barrett getting hurt, Cardell Jones coming in and just lighting everybody up after not playing the whole season. I mean, it was just incredible to watch that go down, especially it being my favorite team. And that kind of ties into I combined this one. You know, I first got into football. For those who don't know, I first got into sports like kind of late. I was not into sports at all. Like from the time that I was, you know, from I was born till when I was 11. Could care less anything sports related. And, uh, but 2006, that season was like the first year I kind of got into it. And, uh, I remember Ohio State made the championship against Urban Meyer's Florida Gators that year and Tim Tebow. And I'll never forget Ted Ginn returning the opening kickoff of that game for a touchdown. Only for Ohio State to just get blown out after that. But like, still... Just, uh, you know, what that the singularity of that moment was really hard to top. It was just like, you know, Troy Smith had won the Heisman, and it was like, you know, we just had this great stacked team, and you thought, you know, we are going to ride off into the sunset. But then Ted Ginn gets hurt in the celebration, and then Ohio State just looked awful, and yeah, went downhill from there. But we got it done in 2014, so... Uh, and then that leads me to my last one. It's kind of a bonus one just for t- uh, today. It's, you know, today is the NFL Draft, uh, as of this recording. The NFL Draft's always been special. I'm a big Raiders fan, and when you're... When you're a fan of a struggling team that has rough years year in and year out the draft is a very special moment for fans of terrible teams because that's the one glimmer of light it's like you know we're gonna get this guy it's gonna turn our team around and you just have all offseason to kind of like think about that and uh one of our traditions is that we're going to continue tonight is uh, we really like getting chicken wings from uh, Spectator's Bar and Grill in Saugatuck and uh, watching the NFL draft. And we've spent many drafts at Spectator's and we're still, even with coronavirus, we're going to get some takeout and uh, make it happen. Watch the, the virtual draft tonight. So, uh, so yeah, that'll be my, that's my last one. There's, of course, there's other ones from over the years, but for quick hits, I think that, that pretty much wraps up my top ones. So Sounds good. Yeah, the draft, the one blind hope day for Raiders fans and Lions fans. Exactly, dude. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. 
Very cool. Very cool. All right, we're going to move into our big ones. So you're going to be rewarded by really cool stories for sticking with us this long here to listen. I'm going to start. Ooh, what do I want to start with? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to start with one of the coolest ones. I was thinking about saving it for last, but you've been talking about Ohio State so much. I got to go back to another Michigan one here. Mm-hmm. So when I was God, all these memories. Yeah, it's either like um, I was like ten for everything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't realize that that was such a pivotal age for me. Um, yeah. But uh, I guess my parents made it happen when it needed most. I guess so. Um, so in '91, uh, I was. 10 years old and this was the year eventually that Desmond Howard would win the Heisman Trophy for Michigan you know one of the most impactful wide receivers college football's ever seen all smiles everybody loved him it was a big deal Um, and as a kid at age 10 when you finally realize what's going on he was the first like person I really gravitated to that wasn't a baseball player in Mm -hmm. my life and so Near the end of the season, they were, uh, it was after the season, actually, after the regular season was over, before the bowl game. So in that kind of, you know, three, four-week layoff, the ESPN was interviewing all the Heisman finalists and leading up to the Heisman Trophy. And so somehow my dad got wind that when this interview was happening. So he, they interviewed him at Chrysler Arena, the basketball stadium, in the in the basketball locker room because it was easy to do. The football locker rooms at that point in Michigan were still pretty that would have been pretty cold <laughs> to do that in there. It wasn't quite the same uh, luxurious place it is now. Um, it still isn't that. It still isn't that as luxurious as being in Chrysler Arena. So my dad found out that they were doing it at half. They're doing it like halftime of the other. I guess it was during the. I don't remember if it was during the bowl games or during like championship, like conference championship week or whatever. But they were interviewing at live at halftime of other finalists' games. So like it was during like Casey Weldon, the quarterback for Florida State, was a finalist. So like they were maybe they were playing Florida or maybe it was in their bowl game. I can't remember. But like uh, it must have been Florida because the they announced it before the bowl games. Again, sorry for my memory lapse. That was 28 years ago. This is 28 years ago now. <laughs> so my dad found out that they were doing it in the middle at the halftime of the Florida Florida City game, and that was on live TV. And I'm 10. My brother's eight, and my other brother was quite little and already asleep at this point. And my dad goes, he found out about this, and we're watching the other game, but we're also in our pajamas, you know, because it was like an eight o'clock tip, you know, or kickoff. So he goes, hey, you guys up for an adventure? And we just kind of looked at him like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he goes, do you want to go see if we can get Desmond Howard's autograph? And we were like, what? Like, what do you know? What's happening? And he's like, hey, he's doing this. Let's try. So we drove. I grew up in Ann Arbor, for those of you who don't know. So that's, I mean, my parents went to Michigan. Um, I was right there. Um, I was I was kid Jay Remersma from Zealand. Uh, his kids play in Zealand now. That I was a kid watching him play. Like, I actually watched him play uh, at Michigan Stadium. Mm-hmm. So, which was a couple years later than Desmond Howard. But anyway, so on the way, it's a short drive over to Chrysler Arena from my uh, my parents' house. And my dad's like, explain to us what's happen- happening. He's doing this interview. We'll see what happens. But he's also warning us. He's like, there's a good chance that the tunnel to the Chrysler Arena will be locked and we won't be able to get in. It was pouring rain also, of course, right? Uh, <laughs> but also, he's like, or there could be, everybody could have found out about this and there could be hundreds of people, you know? So just, we're going to try and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but, you know, let's see what happens. Well, we get there, the garage door to the tunnel wide open nobody there mm-hmm. uh we weren't we were like all right well, maybe this is wrong you know right we just went in and we sat down on the floor in the tunnel and just quietly sat there and you know the people 
you know, kept coming in and out of the locker room, you know, checking things and whatever. Their uh, media relations person comes out and he he sees us and he goes, hey, you guys here to try to get Desmond Howard's autograph? And we're like, yeah, <laughs> you know. And he's like, he's like, yeah, when he's done, he'll come out. No biggie, you know, like. Mm-hmm. So, which is funny because that guy's name was Bruce Motti and he was the football SID forever for them. And um, my dad ended up coaching his kids with my brother and I helped out. Like, we, we know each other very well now, <laughs> but like, which is, which I had no, we had no idea who that, I mean, we knew who that was, but we didn't know him, you know, but it was kind of funny how that also came full circle. Later. Yeah. But so Desmond Howard comes out after the interview, you know, with the, you know, uh, assistant coach or whatever, who was there too, and a couple of the media people and he sees us and he just, he comes right over and we've got our, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated a couple weeks before so after they beat he was on twice actually that year so we all had our little sports illustrated or whatever with him on it and he came out and he signed them but he, he didn't just sign them he talked to us for a good 10 minutes you know he asked us questions i don't remember what he asked of course it was 28 years ago but like he talked to me personally and my brother personally he didn't just go hey guys thanks for coming signed it and left he mm-hmm. actually interacted with us for a, a few minutes which was amazing like mm-hmm. as to a 10 year old to somebody who's going to win the heisman trophy that we just happened to just my dad figured this out we got there nobody there it was unlocked we just sat there and waited and then we got to meet our hero at that time like that's who may how, like how do you even like that's that's that shouldn't be allowed to happen that easy right i mean <laughs> so anyway that was my first big moment 10 years old got to meet the heisman trophy winner and but like i said the lasting impact was first of all that it was an adventure and my dad had had this happen to him when he was a kid when hall of fame pitcher bob feller was coming through town to promote some restaurants Mm -hmm. my grandpa did the same thing to him where he said hey how about you up for an adventure let's go see if we can meet bob feller and they went to this thing and there was only a couple of people there at the time so my dad got to play catch with bob feller and the hall of famer taught him how to throw a curveball mm-hmm. oh my god it's amazing you it's can't amazing. make that up you know yeah. what i mean like that, like how do you do that and how did my grandpa know like that and then same thing how did my dad know and put that all together so the adventure part of it was so awesome and that i won't forget but then also the fact that that desmond howard was so welcoming of it and like he didn't like i said he didn't just he could have just well i mean i guess he really could have just been like i'm not signing anything of course you know they already said he was going to but like it was just my one brother and my dad and I. Like, there was only three people in there. It's not like there was hundreds of people or something. But he also could have just signed it and then been like, see you guys. Mm-hmm. But he really stayed and engaged. And that was that was, that was was really cool to see. That was something I'll never forget. So yeah. there's my first one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, my first Taking one. it over to you, Bo. Yeah. So, yeah, my first one. Um, and I kind of, I know we didn't have to do this. And this is kind of like a loose thing we're doing. I kind of put mine in order of, like, importance. Just li- kind of loosely. Not really, but kind of like five to one. But uh, uh, for number five for me is so it's not you're building the suspense for exactly yeah so like (laughs) not really it's not technically something i well i guess it was on a tv but it, it involves a video game so my junior year of college at grand valley was like my first time away from home even though i was you know close to saga type 45 minutes away whatever it was still my first time kind of being on my own with roommates and stuff and my junior year of college was like a really really special time for me uh, i met two of my roommates who were like you know just lifelong friends really got lucky there and uh that year what we did was we were huge fans of the football game NCAA Football 14, which according to the Holland Sentinels, top five sports video games of all time, that's number one. (laughs) And we really liked that game. Yeah. And, uh, we really liked that game and we found this way we developed this way so like for those of you who have played it it's a two-player game only you know one you know one team versus another we found a way to play it in like teams of two so you like you drew cards uh we had four cards and you had to match with somebody 
So your team was picked at random. And then, depending on what would happen, like, it was like an honor system. Like, if you got to stop on defense, you got to play offense. Or, like, if you gave up a score, then you had to pass it to your partner. And you depended on the other partner for, like, doing well. It was almost like Euchre, but for football video games. And it was... I mean, it was like a hit. People would come to our apartment to do that. And, like, people thought it was a great idea. And, like, we would have, like, parties. And we would be doing that. And we just spent hours playing that. And I remember, too, I had people challenge me one-on-one. I was undefeated for six months. I was kind of the unspoken best player at that game. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I totally am. Um, I'll toot it for you. Yeah. And uh, I was undefeated for six months until one of my roommates, Chance, he's a good dude, he uh, he beat me. Uh, just kind of like a normal game. Say, hey, man, you want to play? Yeah, whatever. Not hyped up at all. And it was seriously like Buster Douglas, like, defeating Mike Tyson. It was like, <laughs> holy cow. Like, like, no one expected it. It was just like... Our other roommates were like, what? You know, you finally lost. And I remember I got, we actually had to like say sorry to one another. We got, there was some bad blood over it for a night. Like it was crazy how seriously we took it. And uh, we made up and it, everything was fine, you know, but like we actually put a sign up commemorating the day, like on this date. And I still have the sign. I kept it. It's in a, a shoebox. It's in storage, but I still got it saying awesome. the exact date, the score. I, I believe it was Bowling Green. Because uh, I used to laugh. I used to tell people, like, I'll beat you with Bowling Green. You know, be whoever you want. And uh, I forget why. I don't know. But um, I think he beat me with some Mac team or something. But anyway, yeah. And, like, we had a lot of crazy games of that. And, like, it was just cool how we had, like, the 2v2. And, like, that was just a very special time for me uh, that junior year. And it was and sports was a big part of it. So that was that's number five for me. So That's really neat. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I mean, playing video games for me, I just remember playing Madden with my roommate, who and I was the Raiders every time, and I just did a quick slant to Tim Brown every time. Yeah, oh yeah. And I beat him like two straight games until he finally figured out how to stop it, then he just crushed me for the rest of our lives. Yeah. But for those two or three games, I had it. It was just funny watching him get so frustrated that I kept doing the same thing, so... All right, so I'm going to jump to another uh, baseball moment at my uh, favorite moment at Tiger Stadium. And I had plenty. I went most of the years at least once, um, you know, from when I can remember to when it closed. So this one, I think I was eight. So a little earlier than 10 or 11 this time. Yeah. So, and it's another epic story. So Nolan Ryan was pitching for the Rangers, the Texas Rangers. And, you know, obviously he's a legend. It ended up being the 200. 99th win of Nolan Ryan's career mm-hmm. um, which is so cool <laughs> but that's not what makes the story <laughs> the craziness that happened there will and it could never happen you know like those old Seinfeld episodes where they're like in the Chinese restaurant waiting for a table or they can't find each other in the movies that crap doesn't happen now with technology you just text each other you know what I mean mm-hmm. like um, it was one of those times that could never be repeated so we we took, my grandma's a huge baseball fan, still is. She still, whenever I call during baseball season, she's one of the first things she always said is, "What are they doing with the what is the Tigers coaches doing? What are the <laughs> how come this guy can't pitch?" You know, she loves the Tigers, um, has her whole life. So we were taking her for her birthday. Her birthday's in July, so we always go around her birthday as well. And <clears throat> so she went with. Uh, we took her. My just one brother and I. The youngest brother has was yet was two. He went too. Wow. That was a long time ago. Okay, so we took my grandma, right? And we, my dad got tickets from a family friend that worked for uh, Rawlings Company that like used to make a ton of the bats, any bat that wasn't really from Slugger. And so he got tickets and gave them to us. So we we go like it's a nor- you know normal thing. We park, we go, and 
we go sit down at our seats where we get, you know, a lot of kids, you know, three kids. So we, you know, we immediately go get the food. They just switch, you know, Little Caesars Pizza was a thing, I think, or Domino, whatever it was. I don't remember which owner was still there. <laughs> but, you know, pizza was a thing in Detroit, you know, for that. And we got all our food and sat down and finally started eating and everything. And the, uh, you know, an, an inning passes and then somebody comes up and is like, hey, you guys are in our seats. And we're like, I mean, we're meaning my parents. I was eight. You know what I mean? But I, I still got what was going on. I was like, I looked at my ticket. No, I'm right here. You know what I mean? And so... We're like, no, this is our seats too, and they. We looked at each other's tickets, and they looked exactly, the same. <laughs> exactly the same. So an usher comes over, and he's like, "What's going on?" And we're like, "Well, we. It looks like we're, you know, both here, whatever." So what happened was these tickets used to be not digital, right? And there, there used to be like a. They used to say, like, rain date. If it rained out, they are going to play the next day. They don't pick that anymore, whatever. So basically what happened is there was something wrong or in the wrong spot on our ticket. So our tickets were actually for the day before. Mm-hmm. But we got in because oh, they just look at the tickets and rip it. This is right. Like, beep, you know. Yeah. And it says the date's on there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they had it in the wrong spot. So now here we are with all these things, and we're technically illegally there. <laughs> oh, my God. From the wrong night. And uh, so we just moved down the row. I mean, even back then, I mean, it was hard to get a sellout. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, even with Nolan Ryan pitching, it was a big crowd. But we, So we just moved down the row, finished our food. And then, like, after the third inning, somebody else comes up and goes, hey, you guys are in our seats. And at that point, me being eight, I got it enough to go, in my head, go, it's the third inning and Nolan Ryan is pitching. Where the crap have you been? Right. That yeah. was my thought as an eight-year-old. How are you coming in at the third inning when Nolan Ryan's pitching? You missed three innings of Nolan Ryan pitching. You're never going to see that again. You know, like, it was, it was right before he only pitched, like, another year or so. Uh, maybe two years, but like you didn't know that at the time. He was he was in his forties, you know. And I I just could not believe that people were late to this game. <laughs> no one was yeah. And so then we so then we fin- we finished our food. Thankfully, right about the time that those people came, then we went out and the ushers were like, "Yeah, just go out into right field." We explained what happened, but a lot of people, a lot of the workers thought we kind of scammed this to be there when Nolan Ryan was pitching when one of us then kind of gave us a half jest hard time but we're like it's not a sellout we could have gotten the tickets you know what I mean like it's not like it was a sellout game that we scammed this so we went out to right field for the last few innings and we spent the rest of the time me as an eight-year-old my brother as a whatever six-year-old screaming at Chet Lemon who was playing right field for the Tigers Mm -hmm. um in like not at him like derogatorily like every inning we made sure he like he turned around and smiled at us or waved (laughs) so Mm -hmm. but yeah and then so we had to move twice (laughs) you know the whole thing I mean just imagine what this is like we're like my you know we're moving my grandma around my parents just like what is going on we got my youngest brother's two like that's a lot to keep moving around a stadium and an old stadium at that you know it's not like now where you can just go onto the concourse at Comerica Park there's nowhere to go you know so uh and then walking back to our car and those you know those side lots around Tiger Stadium my mom totally fell into a pothole that was like waist deep <laughs> oh my really oh my god um, yeah landed on her feet you know it was all good just twist her ankle a little bit but like it was anything that could go wrong happened and it was just the weirdest thing but we for her birthday we framed the ticket for my grandma and wrote Field of Bad Dreams on it and it was right after Field of Dreams had come out the movie so it was kind of perfect so she still got that that ticket stub with the sign on it hanging, hanging on her wall at home so 
it was just something I'll never forget because you just you it couldn't happen today. You you know you try you to go accidentally go in with the wrong ticket, it doesn't beat. You know mm-hmm. when everything's digital now, it would never happen. But it was just looking back, one of the funniest things. But can you imagine the frustration on the part of my parents? <laughs> this is all going. We keep having to move it all move all around the stadium with three kids, a grandma, and a bunch of food. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was pretty. <laughs> crazy but we we stayed till the end and we saw nolan ryan get his 299th win and it is a moment we refer to often and we will never forget yeah oh that's awesome dude that's a good one that's a milestone too man nolan yeah that's really cool yeah yeah no doubt all right well moving on to my next one number four uh is uh so i'm a big raiders fan and some people might even laugh at this one but man i'll tell you what the the 2011 Oakland Raiders football season is one of my favorite like Raiders seasons of all time since I've been a fan. And then also I'm tying it into this one too is the 2014 the Raiders Week 12 win over the the Kansas City Chiefs uh, to make them for their first win of the season after starting 0 and 10. But uh, I'll start with 2011. That year Oakland started 4 and 2. Hugh Jackson was the head coach. You know, hot off his you know he was a, at the time people know him now as kind of the the follied uh, you know Browns coach and just kind of a guy who's kind of around that had much success but before all that he was a offensive coordinator for uh the baltimore ravens and he was kind of a hot prospect of, uh, coaching candidate and we got him and he started at oakland as an offensive coordinator but anyway that year we looked so hot in the first six games i mean it was amazing i mean jason campbell was on fire kind of you know he was kind of like the success story after kind of having a hard time in uh, washington and Derek mcfadden was just tearing it up and uh unfortunately mcfadden and then campbell got hurt back-to-back weeks campbell it was a collarbone uh scott vegeta for the browns actually like kind of like flopped on top of him and then um also uh, mcfadden had a liz frank uh, foot bone injury and he was like questionable to return every single week and then he just never returned the whole year even though every week is listed as like questionable and it was but uh we ended up eight and eight we ended up doing this horrible trade for carson palmer which is part of why hugh jackson got fired in the offseason and didn't make the playoffs but tell you what man those first six weeks and even the carson palmer trade it was a wild time to be a raiders fan especially Especially after they were so horrible proceeding that year. So like, you know, most people like, oh, whatever, same old, same old Raiders. But man, that was like, oh, it was so much fun. Those those couple games, man. Yeah, people forget they used to be really, really great. And then I think yeah. like when Bo Jackson got hurt, that was just kind of the end for a while. Yeah, it pretty much was. You know, between the Super Bowl that one year. Right, yeah, you know, they had Rich Gannon, Tim Brown, Jerry Rice, those teams. You know, they were pretty like, solid, but... That was like 12 or 13 years after Bo Jackson got hurt. Right. Through the 90s. Yeah, in the 90s, yeah, they never, like, rebounded from the Todd Marinovich thing. They drafted Todd Marinovich, and then they had, like, Jeff Hostetler and, like, these weird, like, quarterbacks that just Jay didn't... Schrader. Yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, these, like, gunslinger guys. Yeah. Yeah, that weren't... That they were like, please give me somebody that can get the ball to Tim Brown, and then they just couldn't. Right, yeah. <laughs> And then they couldn't run because they traded Marcus Allen when they got Bo Jackson, and then Bo Jackson got hurt, and they didn't have a good running back yeah. until I don't even know. They might, I don't even remember who the running back is when they went to the Super Bowl because they were all throw. So I don't know if they had another good running back till McFadden. Yeah, no. Not really. I mean, I mean, if it was like Justin Fargus, like from USC, and like, oh, just like, oh, he yeah. He started at Michigan and then transferred. Oh, did he really? 
Oh, I watched him play at the big house, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we he had him for a while. Like behind Tyrone Wheatley and Bianca Batuka and all these yeah, guys. So. Yeah, yeah, he was like not very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, I guess you have to make it to the NFL. Yeah, still got to be pretty good. Oh, yeah. But yeah, and then uh, so in 2014, it was Derek Carr's rookie year. We started 0-10, but we had all these pieces moving. We had a new GM. You know, things were starting to look up, and then they upset the Chiefs uh, week 12. And like, that was seriously like the Super Bowl. I mean, it was literally made us 1-10, but like, I didn't care. <laughs> It was like, you know, our rookie quarterback, Derek Carr, made some great plays. And it looked like really bright. Now, you know, I'm kind of like against Derek Carr. I don't think he's the guy to lead the team. But at the time, it really seemed like we were on the up and up. It really seemed like, you know, it wasn't going to be Jokeland anymore. You know, it was going to be the Raiders, man. And uh, and also kind of tying into that, I sat in the black hole one time. Just a quick allegory. I sat in the black hole one time in a preseason game, actually. I think it was in 20, 2012. Yeah. And it was like an unforgettable experience. And it just, it, it's pain, painful to me that I'll be watching the Las Vegas Raiders draft as opposed to Oakland. Because that town really loves their team, man. And I really like think... Even, I mean, I was bad enough when I was a kid. Like when Bo Jackson, they had just moved to L.A. from Oakland. Yeah. And that was bad enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people who didn't like that. Yeah. It's just it's just too bad for those people. You know, how faithful they are. And I know it's and a I business, think but... I should be a team in Vegas. Oh, but... yeah. Definitely, I agree. Yeah. Or maybe move the Chargers there if they're really not going to be able to do that. Right. That's a shame. That's yeah. A shame. So. That's a super good memory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be number four for me. So. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right, I'm going to go with my third one here. We're going to shift off of baseball. Shock and Michigan. <laughs> Shocker. In 2012, I'm going to kind of piggyback a couple things together here, but in 2012, my wife and I got to go to the Olympics in London. Mm -hmm. And that was super cool. Um, my wife's best friend lived there at that point, and we got to free stay, so that uh, that made the trip possible. And we got to see beach volleyball, which was super fun. Oh yeah! And we watched triathlon, and that because that just happened to be free and happening in the park right by the friend's house. Yeah. Um, but then we went to tennis at Wimbledon, and that was awesome because it was the best tennis players. Now it wasn't just the amateur players, you know. So like. We watched Djokovic play against Andy Roddick on center court at Wimbledon. And it was ended up being Roddick's last match ever at Wimbledon because the actual Wimbledon tournament was, you know, the month before. And then he retired at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So and he was our favorite tennis player. So that was pretty cool. And we saw the Williams sisters play. We saw I saw number one at the time in the whole world, Victoria Azarenka, in the front row. Mm -hmm. I left the <laughs> the there was rain and we didn't get to see Federer play because the, he was the last match of the day and it got pushed the next day till rain so I still never see Federer play but we watched the Williams sisters play doubles we watched uh, Andy Murray uh, from Great Britain playing on center court at Wimbledon which is really cool and yeah so before the the Williams sisters doubles match was over they were winning and we watched a bit of that I went I left and I went to see this match that had started Victoria Azarenka was playing some no-name player but she was ranked number one in the world and it was in one of the biggest venues but it had rained so I went in there and I was like one of four people watching that match mm -hmm. so oh my god that's it so I yeah I was right behind the baseline in the front row in the middle watching her from like 10 feet away she, when she was number one in the world and I thought that was the coolest thing and we just we just had a blast and my wife and I both are tennis fans so we it, you know we knew everybody we were watching them like it wasn't just like oh my gosh the Williams sisters are playing doubles but it's the Williams sisters are playing doubles against Germany's Sabine Lisicki and oh uh, I'm losing it now and I, I should I shouldn't have this problem but uh, another German player who I can't believe I don't know off the top of my head mm -hmm. uh, because she's won a bunch of majors now. Anjali Kerber, golly. 
it took me way too long. <laughs> anyway, so but Sabine Lasicki was a Wimbledon finalist after that, and Anjali Kerber's won three majors. So like the two of them playing the Williams sisters was huge. It was like an epic match, and we knew all four of them, and it was like a big deal. Brain farts aside, we knew who they were. <laughs> Uh, but that was just super cool to be able to walk around and see a lot of different matches and, you know, just experience it at that experience Wimbledon and the Olympics at the same time. Um, that was super fun. Um, I'm glad I got to do that with my wife because we had a lot of fun doing that. Um, I also went to see the U.S. Open, I think either right before or right after that in New York. And same thing got to, but I went with my dad and my brothers and my brother-in-law and my father-in-law. So it was a guy's trip. And they're all tennis fans. My dad used to coach tennis, and my brother-in-law used to play tennis, and uh, father-in-law and stuff. So, like, we, we all love tennis, so that was super fun. And we saw everybody. We saw Nadal. We saw everybody but Federer again. So, two biggest things that I did. I saw everybody but Federer, <laughs> the best player in the world. Uh, you know, you know how it goes. Um, but it was super fun to be there and just go into those things you can go from, you know, when there's breaks in the action, you can leave and go to other courts and watch. So you can kind of mix and match and move around. You don't have to just sit in one spot the whole day. So that was super fun to do with the Olympics. There was nothing quite like that. And then just being there in London and watching the BBC Olympic coverage instead of NBC mm-hmm. was crazy because the BBC, like if you wanted to watch track, it was all on BBC One or whatever and you just watched it. But if some of the other events were there on BBC Two or whatever like that. So we watched the swimming, obviously. Swimming's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Somebody from my high school was in the Olympics there. Yeah. And we actually ran into her coach at the Tower of London while we were there. Oh, my God. And, you know, told him that we that I went to high school with her or whatever. And he videoed a good luck message to that we, you know, said he videoed with his phone us saying good luck to her and mm-hmm. played it for her later before she swam. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really cool. Oh, that's so, cool. <laughs> but so we're watching the swimming, and obviously that was the, you know, still swimming is usually tracks the second week, swimming is the first week. It's the big, it's become the big first event of the Olympics. And he's, Michael Phelps is still there. Lochte, this is when Missy Franklin won her gold medals and became this icon and whatever. But the BBC coverage, there was no commercials. None. Oh, there was my like gosh. one commercial for like two minutes at the, an hour. That yeah. Was it. So like between all the races, instead of it going to commercial, you you got double or triple the amount of analysis on the race, the race <laughs> and them talking about what was happening next. And it was incredible yeah. to just see how that would work so well. And then just, you know, that they had track going at the same time. The hep- and Britain had the heptathlete Jessica Ennis, who won the gold uh, in the heptathlon. And we were watching that when that happened, too. And I went out. I still have the all the London papers from when she won because it was just as a journalist that was so cool to see so i have like three different papers where she's the whole front page of a1 the whole front page of the sports you know everything and uh just watching and you could like feel the all of london cheer Mm -hmm. live from your house because everybody was rooting for her yeah and that energy was super cool so oh my gosh um, yeah but there's nothing quite like the olympics and that was that was super fun to do so oh that's cool i can't believe i forgot who angelique kerb was for a second there she won the yeah. yeah. All right, go ahead, sir. All right. Well, number three for me. So, uh, Ohio State, before Urban Meyer was even the coach, it was uh, Jim Trestle. And one of the last years Jim Trestle was there, Ohio State won the Rose Bowl. I'm kind of blanking on the year. I believe it was 20... Oh, I want to say it was 2011. But anyway, Terrell Pryor was the quarterback. And uh, he will always be Terrell Pryor, former 
Ohio State quarterback who'll always be uh, my favorite athlete just because of the time when I was a kid I was you know Ohio State football was my first love and like he was treated like a celebrity I mean his recruitment process was off the off the charts so it was almost like tabloidy it was like you know where's Sherrill Pryor gonna go this week you know and uh we got him and then you know there's a bunch of knocks against him that he couldn't pass and while he wasn't he wasn't great he still was serviceable and a lot of people forget about that about his time there and uh one of those years man I remember we we're playing Oregon led by Jeremiah Masoli and everyone was on the Oregon hype train they had the uniforms Chip Kelly the whole deal and Ohio State just went in there Terrell Pryor went in through for like 230 passing yards totally outplayed Masoli who the media was hyping up and, and uh beautiful day in Pasadena and it was Brent Musburger and Kirk Herbstreet and it was just amazing it was just like all these people said we're gonna lose and just to like just to win and get that done and have have Pryor just like prove all the doubters wrong and like really play an amazing game, which is like truly spectacular. I remember I was at my grandma's house watching it with my dad because uh, it was New Year's. It was New Year's Day Bowl. And our tradition usually is to go up there for New Year's. And I remember just being like so excited, man, that, you know, he, he finally did it and like proved everybody wrong. We beat the Pac-12 team and like, it, or back then it would have been Pac-10, but uh, it was amazing. It was really one of my favorite memories. And it's one of those games that I'll just never forget just because of like my association with it. So that was a huge deal for me, for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to let you go again because mm-hmm. my last one is kind of like a two-parter. Okay, cool. Yeah, I got two left. So for me, uh, and I'll, I'll do mine, or do you want me to do my, my number one one before you? Or? It's up to you. You feel the flow, man. Go okay, all right. I'll feel the flow. So yeah, number two for me. Off the cuff, I like this. Off the, yeah, casual yeah. Here. We're casual Can't, here. We're casual here at the Holland Sentinel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, doing the podcast remotely from our pajamas. Yeah. Right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, I have my daily jersey of uh, Brewer's great Paul Molitor, by the way, in case anyone was following that. Oh, yeah. I was doing that. There you so go. I'm not in my, technically in my pajamas, although sometimes it, some of these jerseys feel kind of like pajama shirts. Yeah. Well, I'm totally wearing my pajamas, uh, nice. all listeners. So, that. yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, number two for me, man, is I think this is I know for a lot of people in New York, this will be their number one. But uh, it's the 2008 Super Bowl uh, between the undefeated New England Patriots and the wild card uh, New York Giants. That is my favorite Super Bowl of all time. I don't think it'll ever be top. I've watched many Super Bowls on many great TVs and they've been awesome. Some amazing games. But I'll tell you what, nothing beats. We were in Columbus, Ohio with my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side. Just me and my dad and my grandma and grandpa on their terrible little standard definition. TV. Not terrible. It actually wasn't bad, but it was standard definition, you know, just nothing special. Uh, My grandma made some food, you know, not a big party, just us. I forget why that was. I think maybe some of my uncles came over for a little while, but it was really just us. And, uh, you know, it was amazing. It was, obviously everyone knows about the game. David Tyree making the helmet catch. And like, I remember I jumped on the Patriots bandwagon that year. I really loved Randy Moss. He's one of my favorite NFL players of all time. But just, I remember my, my grandpa wanted the Giants to win. I wanted the Patriots to win, you know, complete the 19-0. And I remember we were going back and forth, ribbing each other. And he, I remember he was saying, he's like, oh, Randy Moss, he's got Moss on his name. And, I, you know, just saying stuff like that and well, my grandpa's since passed away my grandma's still with us but like i always just think of that that memory man it's just a really the game and then just sitting there with some really you know important people in my life you know watching just such an awesome awesome game that still stands up as one of the greatest games uh in football history is it was just truly amazing so and it really That's brings awesome. me back to you know when i first got into football and i first fell in love with it 
and you know in sports you know that's why i'm a sports writer you know it's like a big deal was you know those that the, kind of that region the 2008 or 2007 to 2010 you know was kind of my honeymoon period for sports so that's number two for me and i guess i'll go with number one too so number one topping all those you know coming in the number one spot, the clear number one spot that just cannot be topped is just the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. It's I've been to two games. The one where Tate Forcier against Terrell Pryor in 2009, I want to say that was. And then I went to the one, can't really remember the year, but it was that epic one at Michigan. Both were at Michigan, but it was the one where Brady Hoke and Devin Gardner, they went for two to try to win it, and they lost oh, yeah. 42 to 41. I was at that game. End zone seats, and uh, I'll never forget. It was. The guy, uh, Michael Hall for Ohio State, flipped off the fans as he got kicked out of the game. There's a big fight that broke out in the first half. All this craziness. You know, I remember talking trash with Michigan fans. and I mean, just, just a rivalry. And that, actually, that's how I got into sports was the Ohio State-Michigan game. We, My dad's always been a Buckeye fan. And uh, 2006, um, another crazy Ohio State-Michigan game, Troy Smith versus Chad Henney, uh, Mike Hart's senior year, um, I believe it was. That was number one versus number two. That yep. was really the national championship game that year. Exactly, yeah. 42-39, that game, yeah. Troy Smith, the Heisman year. Yeah, that was the first game I watched where I was genuinely interested. And then the 2007 season, after that season, was my first full-time, you know, watching every game and being, like, into it, like a part of it. And, uh, you yeah, that's what got me into sports, is Ohio State-Michigan. It, it truly is the greatest rivalry. And growing up in Michigan, I mean, I used to wear my Ohio State stuff, win or lose, man. And come Monday, after a weekend of games, like, I mean, just the abuse I took from my friends. It got, like, semi, like, hateful. <laughs> I mean, but that's why I love it. It was real. It was like, it was amazing. Nothing, nothing matches that. I don't care if you're a fan of the SEC, the Pac-12, even a whole different sport. Nothing tops Ohio State, Michigan, and just the pure hatred that truly exists between those two teams, man. And I know it's been lopsided recently, and that's been great for me, but like, it's still, it's just this amazing, amazing thing. It's like the quintessential rivalry. You know, all the movies and stuff, all the rivalries depicted in movies, I think it all comes back to just, you know, Woody Hayes versus Bo Schembechler in the 10-year war. You know, you read about all this and how it got to where it is now, where I'm enjoying it in the, you know, the mid-2000s and 2010s, you know. Um, just to see how it evolved into what it is. It's truly, truly impressive, truly amazing. But so I've, I've been to the two games and just all the ones on TV. There's another one. Uh, the, the year after the 2006 one, Ohio State beat Michigan 14 to three. Chris Wells had a big rushing day. I remember these games like like the back of my hand, man. It's like those yeah, are. I remember the other ones like when Ty Streets caught a slant and uh -huh. beat the safety. Then Michigan won like 13-9. Oh yeah, yeah. Or in '97 when uh, David Boston was like all talk all the time and they were and michigan just just shut him up and the cover sports illustrated was him getting this raucous hit um, but, um and that was that was like i think it was michigan and ohio state were like number two versus number four then but i don't i can't remember which one was two or four but it was it was awesome yeah all that oh yeah that's awesome man yeah it's like and you know, Michigan's had, I mean, I know it's been lopsided since the turn of the, cent the 21st century, but, like, um, there's been some moments, like, when Brady Hoke and Jordan Robinson, they beat Ohio State that one year. That yeah, kind of got them. Yeah. yeah, oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and then the yeah. one, just the one, well, first was one of the ones with Harbaugh where they, the fourth down. Oh, yeah. They should have. They should have beat Ohio State. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go on record saying that, yeah. They should have. They, they should have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's epic. and a sidebar. That number one versus number two game with Henny, mm -hmm. it was, uh, I was, that was like my second year at the Sentinel, and, or maybe my first year at the Sentinel, first full year at the Sentinel, mm -hmm. and I was 
co- I was in Ohio covering Hope College in the playoffs football at, at Mount Union, mm-hmm. at number one Mount Union, and unfortunately got steamrolled like most teams do by Mount Union. Um, but that was an afternoon game, and the, this game was a night game. So um, I had a friend who was a couple years younger than me that went to Overland College, mm-hmm. and that was on the way back. So I stopped, and we, we watched – I watched the game at her place and it was like that big of a deal. Like people were all over it. Like this, it, it was in Ohio, but it wasn't their schools in Ohio state, but like everybody, you know, everybody was watching it every screen possible around. And that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's definitely cool. That's awesome. But, yeah. Great rivalry, man. It really is. It is. It's great. Nothing quite like it. That's for sure. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to bring it home here with my number one. It's a here we go. Starter, my number two, number one together. So by now, if you don't know that I love baseball, you're not listening very hard. <laughs> uh, so um, growing up, I mean, we went to Tiger games, you know, once or twice a year, you know, ventured out a little bit, you know, went to uh, that game at Wrigley when I was a kid. I've been there a few more times. We've I've now been to like 22 of the 22 or 23 of the 30 current stadiums trying to get that 30 for 30. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's my goal is to try to go to a new one each year. Obviously, this year, no. Um, but so, um, also growing up, we used to go to the Catskills in New York, Casco Mountains in New York every year because my dad's family that lived in Brooklyn had, you know, uh, like a some cabin, a summer home, but better than a cabin. Um, but there was a little bungalow house and another house on the same property that they built in like the 40s um, when they, yeah, in the 40s or whatever. So they would summer, spend a lot of summers up there. And once, especially once my great aunts and uncles retired, they spent the whole summer up there every year. And we would go, you know, for a week or two in every year. And just the fun that was, I mean, if we're talking sports, we played, uh, I mean, it was my Italian family. We played bocce all the time, and uh, we didn't play on a little court. It was extreme bocce. We played on the on the wherever in the yard, you know. And this was like several acres of whatever, so rocks, whatever hills you could throw at one, and it would loop around like it was in a like a crazy mini golf, you know, hole or something like that. Um, and that was just super fun. But uh, on the way home, the, every time, every year, uh, Cooperstown, New York, was on the way home from there like about an hour and a half away so we went to the baseball hall of fame almost every year growing up Mm -hmm. and it became a little bit of an obsession with our family for those of you who do not know in college i did my internship at the baseball hall of fame which is awesome and got to you know spend a lot of time with my family up there too but also you know kind of have a dream summer job there at the hall of fame but so we went every year and it was the same thing you know we'd go through the museum in the morning get some lunch shop around town my mom would you know kind of just hang loose while we all bought our baseball cards and whatever else you know in town Mm -hmm. and we you know as kids then you know in the late 80s and into the 90s we didn't know like we'd never seen so many baseball cards you know what i mean like this wasn't just like going down to the corner store where you bought a pack and they had a couple of cool cards or whatever like these were stores and stores all over like three blocks of stores of baseball stuff and you're just like oh my gosh so we definitely were in like kid heaven for sure but like right before one one the two part the start of the two-parter here is in 1999 uh right after i graduated high school my dad was like hey we're gonna go on just a father-son adventure before you go off to college and he did this with each of my brothers too one of them became a pretty epic camping trip on isle royal in lake superior with my youngest brother (laughs) (laughs) where it apparently went from like 70 degrees to like 29 overnight and they were not prepared for that but (laughs) i got the better end of that deal we went to cooperstown (laughs) <laughs> but we went for the induction ceremony. We had, we had gone every year, but we'd never gone for the actual indu- induction ceremony. And the induction ceremony is like 
Woodstock. There's a stage, you know, there's some temporary seating for, you know, the Hall of Famers sit behind the new inductees. There's like the VIP area and the media area, but everything else is just a huge field. So you bring a blanket, you bring a folding chair, whatever. And I mean, we went up and stayed with my, you know, family for a couple a couple days first. And my great aunt Connie sent us with her epic chicken cutlets. We made chicken cutlet sandwiches. That's what we brought to the induction ceremony, which in itself was worth it by itself because they're so good. But we, so we went, to the, we've never gone to the induction. It had never gone. So we're like, let's check this out. It was different. The hype was different. There's, you know, thousands and thousands of more people in this little town that's like the size of Douglas. <laughs> um, so that was a lot different than just being a little bit more people, you know what I mean, on a regular day. But in 1999, Nolan Ryan made it. Shocker, right? We're back to Nolan Ryan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nolan Ryan, George Brett, and Robin Yount all made it on the first ballot. So they, they had maybe one other time ever up until this point. It's happened, you know, maybe twice since. Had three people make it on the first ballot at the same time because that's hard to do. You eat up a lot of each other's votes. Mm-hmm. And then Orlando Cepeda made it as well, not on his first ballot. But Orlando Cepeda was from Puerto Rico. And so there's a ton of fans that came from Puerto Rico because the only other person at that point to make the Hall of Fame from Puerto Rico was Roberto Clemente, and he did it after he died in that plane crash. So mm-hmm. this was the first time Puerto Ricans had a, a reason to see one of their own go. So a lot of people came. And Robin Yount was the first person to make it with a brewer to go in as a brewer george brett was the first person to go in as a royal and nolan ryan was the first person to go in as a ranger so there were i I actually felt like there was like a million people because it was the first time for everybody you know their whole fan base would go um george brett's still the only royal in you know Mm -hmm. and uh it's so there was it was it set the record for attendance that stood until you know we had a couple other ones there was one with Cal Ripken and Tony Gwynn that broke it and then last year with Mariano Rivera obviously and some of the bigger classes that they've had the last few years have broken that but there was enough they've never seen anything like this it filled the whole field I'd never seen I'd seen that field before but it filled the whole field and so just doing that with my dad was super exciting and we went to a couple more inductions over the years we went in 2010 um, when my favorite player Andre Dawson was inducted into Hall of Fame and that was super cool to actually be there you know talk mm-hmm. listening to him speak about his journey and he it took him like nine years to be voted into the Hall of Fame even though a lot of people think he should have been there a little earlier and I had just become a dad also like I always joke that my daughter was the good luck for him finally making it to Hall of Fame because <laughs> she was born like two weeks before they announced the election in January so that was uh, super exciting mm-hmm. and just to be there for that was 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 I mean, there's nothing like physically being there when your favorite player of all time that you grew up loving makes the Hall of Fame. That's oh, insane. yeah. So um, the second part of my story is all the other stuff that goes on there during Hall of Fame weekend. So the induction's great. They do the speeches. You know, you, everyone cheers. It's a big, it's a cool thing just being out, like I said, kind of like Woodstock. Mm-hmm. But like the rest of the weekend, I mean, the museum has special things. You go through this, the gallery with all the plaques, which is the, my, my favorite room on earth. And it's, you know, it's got the awesome wood panel of walls. It's got marble floors. It's got these columns and this, the light comes in um, off the skylight. And it's just, it's, there's just a majestic feeling of awe when you're in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's extra fun. And then, of course, all the, there's all the shopping and all the stores and everything, too. But, like, Hall of Famers sign autographs at some stores or in some of the, the inns in town or whatever. And, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, it, it's all pretty much all 
you, you got to pay, but you get to meet them. And sometimes, you know, half of it goes to charity or more than half of it goes to charity. Some of it goes to the store, obviously. And some of it goes to the Hall of Famers. Some of the older Hall of Famers, remember, they're like guys even like K-Line. They're like, <laughs> it's a big year for them to make. Like at the end of the career, they made, they might have finally got to $100,000 a year, not like $18 million, you know, <laughs> something. So right. sometimes that money is a little bit more of a big deal for the old timers. So, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, so over the years, we... My dad and I have had fun figuring out who, you know, each year when we were there, who's signing where, you know, who should we get, you know, and stuff. And, you know, the first couple of times you just try to get one or two. You're just hoping to get anybody. And um, one of the most amazing moments that I've ever had was I think it was the next year, not after that 99 year. We went again the following year when Sparky Anderson made it and Detroit Stars Hall of Famer from the Negro Leagues Turkey Stearns and got to represent Detroit right so mm-hmm. uh, right. like we needed an excuse to go back right I mean really <laughs> so so we're there and one you know one of the stores you know you, a lot of times they have the same people that come back or whatever one of the stores always had you know a couple Hall of Famers but then all these former Yankee greats that were not Hall of Famers because you know we're only like three hours from New York City mm-hmm. or whatever three and a half whatever but like a lot of people from New York City come so there's a lot of Yankee fans even if they're not coming from the city we're in New York there's a lot of Yankee fans so there, there, I remember there being some of these old Yankee guys that were not Hall of Famers a couple of them not even close to Hall of Famers but they were Yankees and people know who they were and one of the Yankees, Joe Pepitone, what a great name, but he yeah. was like, uh, he had the slick back hair when he was playing, like he was like this smooth, you know, suave kind of guy, like, you know, people, I mean, people liked him, they identified him, he was like a cool cat kind of a guy, but nowhere near a Hall of Famer, he was signing for like 60 or 70 bucks, mm-hmm. and right next to him was Hall of Famer Monty Urban, who played the first half of his career in the Negro Leagues, second half of his career on the New York Giants, and was originally, people, everyone thought that he was going to be the one to break the color barrier, not Jackie Robinson, because he was such a better player than Jackie Robinson. And he kind of gets forgotten because he played half and half. You know, if he played all his years in the Negro Leagues, people would remember him like, they remember like Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson. Or if he came after, they remember him because he played in the major leagues his whole career. But he was a, just a fantastic player and a great ambassador for the game. He was signing for $15. Yeah, oh my gosh. And no one was in line for him. <laughs> and so I went up. Of course, I, I knew who he was, even as a 18 or 19-year-old kid, whatever I was at that point. I knew who he was. I knew all about him. And, I mean, not as much as I know now, of course. But, like, I knew he was a Hall of Famer. I knew that he played for the New York Giants. I knew he played in the Negro Leagues first. That's basically all I knew. I went up and I had him sign, you know, had a ball for him to sign. And no one else was in line. So he and I just got to chat baseball for a while. So here I am, this 18-year-old kid chatting with this legend that no one seems to remember while everyone's lined up for this guy with the cool hair that was nowhere near the ball <laughs> you know and that just happened to play in the, for the yankees you know and you know you get more notori- notoriety there this quiet hall of famer and he just had this great conversation and it was one of the most memorable moments of my life because i i mean i already knew about him but i like he got me more excited about the negro leagues which i already was excited about and i'm just part of sabers negro league committee and I do a lot of Negro League research. I was, you know, that's wrote. I actually wrote a chapter in one of the books that Saber did about the 1946 Newark Eagles Negro League championship team, and Monty Irvin was on that team. So that was a thrill for me. And just, I actually wrote a column about it a couple years ago when he died, about how everyone missed the opportunity to get his autograph while they were, you know, doing everything else. They'll never know what they missed because here's this quiet legend that just quietly was there, like hidden in plain sight. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but for me, it was just a commentary on what do baseball fans really know, you know. So I've, that was always something I wanted to give more notoriety to. 
And, you know, the year before, I, man, I watched the Ken Burns baseball documentary, and Ken Burns actually went to high school with my dad. So we were super excited about that. And then the guy who they had talking about the Negro Leagues, Buck O'Neill, who played and managed in the Negro Leagues and was later the first African-American coach in the majors when he was a coach for the Cubs. We got to meet him in Ann Arbor. He came through on a, you know, was signing autographs to help benefit the United Negro College Fund. And we got to meet him, and it was a thrill. And that got us super psyched. And then, then you know, the next year, I'm meeting Monty Irvin, and it's just like, how does this get any better? You know what I mean? <laughs> These guys are so, they're so down to earth, but they're so engaging, even if they're not super loud, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that just, so if, if you've made it this far on the podcast that you're listening, mm-hmm. go to our site and search Monty Irvin, uh, M-O-N-T-E, Irvin uh, with an I and my column will come up and I wrote the column kind of about this experience and I put it more eloquently in the column than I am saying it right now but it was just it was just an unbelievable experience and we've done this since I mean a couple years ago my my dad and I and uncle went same thing and my dad got Al Kaline's autograph his favorite player of all time at the same time I was getting Andre Dawson's autograph my favorite player of all time and we even happened to run into Dale Murphy who was my uncle's favorite player even though he's not quite in the Hall of Fame he's been in a, a finalist uh, several times but he was there too so my dad my uncle and I all got our favorite player of all time's autograph and met them and got to chat with them within like a half hour of each other mm-hmm. like you can't, like it's unbelievable like you can't make this kind of stuff up you know and uh, so we've we've gone back and done you know some of that stuff and it's you know been a kind of a fun thing and who, who are you going to try to get this year you know and just just meeting those legends like I have I have a ton of autograph baseballs my wife will tell you too many um <laughs> probably like 60 or something like that maybe even a little bit more but like outside of a couple of former negro league players who died a long time ago that i bought at a negro leagues auction um to raise as a fundraiser i've met everybody like i don't i'm not a super fan of just buying autographs to buy autographs but paying for the experience to meet them and getting to meet your heroes and your dad's heroes and stuff that's that's the experience like i'm you know that's been super cool and that's the one spot i can still be a fan because i never covered you know johnny bench or you know eddie murray or jim rice or any of those guys when i for guys when i was a kid i didn't cover them so i can still be a fan retroactively and remember my childhood and meet dave winfield and ricky henderson and trammell and dawson and guys that guys that I was fans of as a kid. I can relieve my childhood, which is part of the beauty of sports and the beauty of baseball, especially with the, the way that generations connect in baseball. So that's kind of kind of my number one, uh, just because it's so on. It's still ongoing. You know, it started. I mean, it started when I was a kid, just baseball in general. But going to these inductions started in '99. My dad and my uncle go. My brothers go sometimes. Sometimes we take my grandma, and she's gone to you know Cooperstown with us before too. My you know my wife has, my kids have, mom has. But there's just the guys trip and we went a couple years ago for trammels when we met k-line and dawson and these guys this is when we went alan trammell and jack morris were the ones inducted we gotta go of course right mm-hmm. uh, they were our favorites they're tigers they were some of our favorites and you never know who you're gonna run into there zealand's jim cott was there because his partner bob costas got the broadcasting award that year and maybe we'll see a jim cott induction sometime soon he's missed by two votes last time we'll see what happens in december this time whole basketball coach brian morehouse was there we spent a lot of oh, time yeah. with him in Cooperstown randomly. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so that was super fun. I actually drove him to uh, 
to his train in Albany on our way back because that's the way he was headed. He was going down to New York City and his the, the rest of the people he came with were going back to Michigan. So that was super fun to kind of experience that together. And he was super stoked too. He was he was texting me throughout the week. He's like, he's like, oh my gosh, Lou Whitaker's signing autographs over here. I'm like, dude, I'm in line for Dave Winfield or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like it was like we were just able to connect as like kids almost, like, which is super fun. So yeah, we'll keep doing that. Who knows? I mean, I'm like looking forward to doing that with my kids. I mean, not that they like baseball. They're not anything like me necessarily, but they have their favorites. And so when Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera make the Hall of Fame, we're taking the kids because they're going to want to experience that and they can connect to generations the way I connect to my parents and my dad and my grandma and, you know, and my great aunts and uncles that were there in generations and generations. And that's the beauty of baseball, man. And that's that's why that's number one for me, because it's been something it's been an almost an ongoing memory, little connections like that. So mm-hmm. but definitely unforgettable. Nothing like meeting your favorite player of all time or meeting some legend. One of the times I'll uh, just while we're already oh, I'm talking about it still. One of Jim Cott's former teammates, Tony Oliva, also like Cott, Cott missed by two votes last time. Tony Oliva missed by one vote last time. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, my God. I demand a recount. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we ran it that same year, 99. It was still 99 because um, it's just me and my dad. Mm-hmm. And he was there. He was not a Hall of Famer at this point, but he was there to, you know, to support Orlando Cepeda and just, you know, be a part of the weekend as a guest. And he had a bodyguard walking around with him. But I was a kid, right? I was 18, maybe 17 at that point. Yeah, I was 17. And I had a ball because we were, you know, we got some autographs. My dad got to meet Bob Feller again after meeting him as a kid and get his autograph as an adult and tell that story to Bob Feller, which is totally awesome. Yeah. About playing catch with him and him teaching him how to throw a curveball. Um, but I was like, so we're in the store and he comes in and I was like uh, trying to play it cool, but I'm still 17, you know, and whatever. And I was like mm-hmm. whispering to my dad, I'm like, dad, I swear Tony Oliva is right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked him, you know, I, I asked, was brave enough to go ask, go up to him and ask him for an autograph. And he politely turned me down. Um, he said, he said, he said, look, if I sign for you, everybody's going to, you know what I mean? Like everybody's going to yeah, come in and, yeah. you know, whatever. He said, send one to the twins, you know, send, send up all the twins. I'll sign it, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I do have his autograph now, but like, but I shook his hand, you know, and I said, thanks, you know, something like, you know, hope you make the hall of fame soon. Something like that, you know, whatever. But like, but leaving the store, a bunch of people came up to me cause they saw it happen. They're like, Oh my gosh, is that Orlando Cepeda? And I'm like, no, it's not Orlando Cepeda. Come on, you guys. Like, <laughs> You know, like, I didn't want to be like, come on, white guys, know who you're, you know, mm-hmm. know who you're non-white baseball player. Right. But that's kind of yeah. my first thought. But also, Orlando Cepeda was making the Hall of Fame that week. His picture's everywhere, you know? Like, yeah. His picture's everywhere. Come on, know who's who. I was like, no, it's Tony Oliva. And I, Tony Oliva retired in 1976. Mm-hmm. That's before I was born. And I picked him out of a crowd and knew that he was there. And that was like a huge moment of pride for me. That yeah. I, and it wasn't him then, it was him now. So it was like older aged Tony Oliva that I was able to pick out of a crowd. And I thought that was super, super fun. So, yeah. but you, you just never know what you're going to run into like that. There's always different things like that. And then of course, behind this, when I worked there in 2002, Ozzy Smith was the inductee and I got some behind the scenes looks at what really happened. I got to work an induction ceremony, which was a lot different and a lot more work, but that was again, super fun. So yeah, they had me like, they had, were interviewing current players because they still did the game there. The, uh, the Hall of Fame game, they don't do that anymore because mm-hmm. nobody wants to take time in the middle of the season to drive up to this little town and play an exhibition game that doesn't matter. And they ended up playing all the scrubs, you know, and whatever. Mm-hmm. But they did like an interview. It was the White Sox and Rockies. And they did an interview with Todd Helton and Frank Thomas because they were like the two stars. And they had me being, I'm, now I'm not, 
I'm, I'm not small now, but I wasn't big then. I was a lot skinnier and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a little bit, a lot weaker than I am now. But they had me, like, being his bot, like, his security for coming from the... <laughs> From his interview to like going back to where he was because there was a crowd of people there, and he ended up signing autographs for some of them. But like Frank Thomas, he's like the biggest baseball player I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and I was this scrawny look. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, you want me to do what? And they're like, yeah, just you know, be in the way. I was like, what is he going to pick me up and use me as a club? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my gosh! Like yeah. it was just hilarious. So yeah, uh, but it was very cool seeing it from the inside yeah. as well so yeah. But, yeah nothing like baseball for my family that's my that is my family's Michigan Ohio State rivalry yeah so but sports man that's what makes it great there's always something gripping and that's what's the, the icing of crap on our world right now is that we don't have sports to distract us we don't have that build up of emotion and coming together as fans I mean like yeah that's mm-hmm. that's the saddest part about right now but, right that's why we're reliving all our all our fun memories. So if you guys if you listen this long and you're going all the way to the end, my hat's off to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, if you want to share yours, email sports at hollandcenter.com and tell mm-hmm. us your best sports memories. And uh, you know, we'd be happy to talk some sports with some people. So mm-hmm. uh, we've got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, That's not entirely true, but sometimes yeah. it seems like it. But yeah, and we will have some more sports memories. We'll come up with some more memory-based ideas done our again last week we did our uh, best moments of coverage this time we did our best moments maybe we'll do something like our favorite players or something like that because they're still super fun to talk about it's fun to debate about who's better than who who's you know what's what makes them your favorite so always always things to talk about in sports that's why around the horn and part of the interruption around every day because <laughs> there's always stuff to talk about so thanks for letting us talk about our favorites relive our childhood a little bit so right yeah any final thoughts, Mr. Bo? Uh, I just can't wait for uh, normal life to return. That's right. Yeah. Add some more memories here. Exactly. Maybe we'll actually make it to all the ballparks. We never know. Yeah. And maybe Michigan and Ohio State will have an epic game once again. It's been a while. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Which I'm not complaining about, but you know. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. all good. So, anyway, all right. We'll have a safe and healthy week. Hopefully, we'll be able to see you out and about soon. But stay safe and healthy and uh, have a good week, everybody. Mm-hmm.